0: Good morrow, everybody. This is Brian, and I wanted to let you know two amazing things. One is that we have a video version of this episode available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. If you go over to patreon.com slash night, you can check that out as well as support the show. And also, if you want our black metal, stay safe, come hard shirt, you can go to merch.latenight.com to get it over there. Take it away, show. that a cheese stick.
1: It was. (laughs) That I was eating the heathen way.
0: Which is to not peel off the strips.
1: Yeah. It's really just like weighing the lesser two evils because one of them is you take the bite, but the other one is you have the superior way of peeling it down, but then also you get cheese under your fingernails. I'm good.
0: Might I suggest the Audrey way, which is to take two bites and then leave it in an undisclosed location and have someone find it at some point.
1: (laughs) She's an innovator.
0: (laughs) It's the six-year-old method. It's true. So everybody, we don't have a guest this week because we figured it'd been a while since it was just the two of us. This is true. Yeah, that's the reason. We also (laughs) didn't book anyone. So I'll let you puzzle out which came first. But yeah, it's just a classic old school late night episode.
1: Yeah, fully during the daytime, obviously. folks who are listening to the audio only version, we are also recording a video version for once because we did that for the weed episode and people liked it. So enjoy us sitting here and staring into the middle distance. (laughs) Nothing
0: interesting is going to be happening visually.
1: You'll just also see our faces, I guess, if you want to see that. So if you want to see that, Patreon or wherever you find those things. God, I'm so good at promoting our content.
0: (laughs) I forgot to check which camera's on. Hold on. Is this it? Yes. Is it? It's not that. It's this. Okay, great. (laughs) Yeah. It's my fancy new gamer cam.
1: You got a gamer cam?
0: Well... It was advertised as such.
1: I think every cam can be a gamer cam if you're a true gamer.
0: I think that's pretty much what it was. It was a mild step up from the built-in webcam, so.
1: Well, Brian, we haven't spoken a while, considering we had several episodes in the barrel. How you been?
0: Oh, uh, I'm great. We went up to Big Bear for a week.
1: Ah. I'm acting like I didn't know this information.
0: <laughs> no, but that's fine. For those of you outside LA, uh, Big Bear is a nearby mountain area with a big lake and a bunch of other mountain-type things. We were there at the perfect time because it was pretty empty since it was too warm to be ski season and too cold to be summer stuff. So it was pretty unpopulated, which was perfect for us. Yeah, and Audrey had a good time? Audrey had a great time. Now, I sent you a video of what Audrey had the best time doing. (laughs) So you might think, you know, you drive, whatever, two, three hours out of the way. You go up, like elevation... 7,000 we were at. So way up in the mountains, right at the base of a ski slope. Not that anyone skis, but we were there. Endless mountain fun to do. But the real attraction was inside the house, which were the carpeted stairs, which Audrey spent, and I'm not exaggerating, about an hour a day running up and sliding down on her butt and running up and sliding down on her butt. It was not a big house, but anywhere we were in the house, we heard... (laughs) <laughs> over and over and over. Sometimes she'd wipe out. Oh, it was the best. Ugh. Before we got home, she said, can we get stairs at our house?
1: <laughs> Just get a staircase to nowhere in your backyard.
0: Yeah. Like where are we going to put, you know, we have one store. We do not live in a two-story house. I mean, you've been to our house. We have two very small steps that separate basically the front half of the house from the back half of the house, yeah, which are uh, more of a tripping hazard than anything else.
1: Yeah. I was about to say, I think I've tripped on those stairs several times and also seen Coco wipe out, rest in peace.
0: Yes. RIP Coco died from tripping. (laughs) Yeah. So we have two very small stairs, but they're not a full, you know, whatever, 12 step.
1: They're not appropriate for a child to slide on. I mean, a regular stair isn't appropriate for a child to slide on, but has that ever stopped any child
0: from doing it? Fuck no. No. I'm surprised she didn't injure herself. Well, actually, I don't know if I told you this. Did I tell you this? No. Audrey had her first stitches the day we got home. No! Yes.
1: Oh my God, what happened?
0: We were chasing each other around the house. I was in character as a character I often play called Daddy Monster. (gasps) And I was just running around the house going, you know, monster sounds. And she was chasing after me. Actually, she was trying to catch me. And the bottom of her toe caught on something. We think it's part of the sliding door. And cut a big old gash in it. And this is like 5 p.m. or something. So we need to go to the doctor. And we gave it a minute or two. And it was like, yeah, this is not stopping. Yeah. And so I took her to urgent care. And she got four stitches in her pinky toe. Oh. But, you know, poor little kid. She was very good. She was very brave. It's healing fine. They had to obviously anesthetize it to give her the stitches. And that was the worst part. The screaming was (laughs) insane. I mean, (laughs) next level, oh, this poor doctor. I'm sure he's been through worse. But when he came at her with the the syringe with the anesthetic in it, she kept going, wait a minute, 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 wait a minute. And he, he would wait. And I was like, honey, he has to do this. And so I had to like hold her leg down with one hand and her body down with the other while she's going, oh! I just top volume hell screaming. I've fucking been
1: there, man. When I was a kid, I would like, you know, wear long sleeve shirts to the doctor and then they would like roll it up. And then right before they put it, I'd be like, nope, and then roll it back down. And then it would just <laughs> be kind of going back and forth trying to hold my stupid like Bobby Jack, early 2000s, like Y2K aesthetic <laughs> sleeves. Yeah. I had like a bad toe injury when I was a child. What happened? It was one of the ones where like the door sat maybe like an inch off the ground when it was closed. And so I was just going into my mom's room and I opened the door and I pulled it back really hard onto my big toe. But the entire big toenail peeled backwards and it was just like removed from the skin and completely bent back. And I don't recommend it. It's not great.
0: Yeah, that sounds Awful. No stitches, but... And there's nothing you can really do either, except yeah, take it out and wait for that thing to grow back.
1: Yeah, you cut the excess and then put a Band-Aid on it. And then because you're a child, you're a little tiny baby about it and frightened by the body horror that has inflicted itself upon your person. Well, that
0: also happened to Audrey like four or five months ago. So on her other foot, she lost the big toenail from, you know, like she dropped something on it. It was actually there for a while, but then it pretty much peeled off at some point. Rachel almost fainted because Rachel does not do well with that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, but this was her other foot. All they could do is just like, in your case, you just wait, right? You like deal with the pain and then it's basically fine eventually.
1: Yeah, you vibe with it. It's not like anybody's going to see your feet. Like I'm determined for no one to ever see my feet. I don't even want to see my own feet. As I've stated before, I have the opposite of whatever a foot fetish is. Like I very much relate to the running 30 rock gag where Liz refuses to let anybody see her feet.
0: (laughs) Wait. So, if I look you up on WikiFeed right now, oh, God. are you not on there?
1: Oh, I pray. I pray. Hold on.
0: I'm <sighs> checking. Do you know if you're on there?
1: No. I don't think I'm
0: big time enough to be on WikiFeed. Well, there's someone named Leighton Gray on there. Uh... <laughs> but it's not you.
1: Oh, thank God. How's the feet, though?
0: Wait, is it you? Okay, there's like recommended links. Oh, yeah. you. No, this is you. <sighs> oh, are
1: you are there pictures of my
0: feet? I think it's you. Okay. It's plausibly you. Hold on. Wait. No! (laughs) Is that you? Yeah. And they're like a yellow skirt or something? This? Yeah. These are so
1: old.
0: Wait. So there's like a black dress and like a yellow skirt. Those are you? Because they kind of cut out, at least on the phone, I can't see your face, which is kind of the point.
1: Oh my God. This is a nightmare. Yeah. Those are me. I used to have black hair.
0: Oh, Layden. Oh,
1: no idea who this girl is, and her legs are a bit spindly, but her feet ain't bad.
0: <laughs> well, let's see. I didn't check the rating.
1: This is awful. I hate this.
0: You have, well, actually, I can't see a number, but it looks pretty high. It's between four and five.
1: Great. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that my teenage feet are on this website. This is great. It, the feet in the water? Is that you? Yeah. All these are me. These are like Instagram posts from like 2016, maybe. Oh,
0: wow. So someone really dug here.
1: Well, that's depressing.
0: Congratulations.
1: Yay. I love to have my feet (laughs) sexualized online. Wow. I have two bads and one ugly. Come on.
0: This is bullshit. Did you see the article that was going around last week about the woman who contacted the man who was uploading her foot pics? No. I'm so upset by this.
1: I'm so like actually legitimately <laughs> upset by this. I'm
0: sorry. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, here. Q&A with the man who keeps uploading my feet to WikiFeet.
1: Ah.
0: It's a good article. It's basically an interview with this guy here.
1: So this is from The Cut. That is a broken ass link if I've ever seen one.
0: That is not a good link. <laughs> Let me try this one. No. What the shit? Okay, just copy and...
1: Yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. Yeah.
0: So this is an article by Laura Bassett. She noticed that someone was uploading her foot pics to WikiFeet, and she reached out. I guess she found out who it was through a little bit of sleuthing and reached out to the person, and he wrote back, Mm -hmm. and they have a very interesting conversation. (laughs) Robert, is it just Robert, or do you go by something else? You sound young.
1: Yes, just Robert. And I'm 60 years old, young lady. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is wild. I gotta check this out later while I'm attempting to remove my teenage feet from Wikipedia. <laughs> you
0: must be able to do that, I would imagine.
1: You've gotta be able to be like, no.
0: Just gonna take a drink of some urine here. Mm.
1: Is that some nice green tea?
0: That's delicious, piss. Yes, that is some lovely green tea. You must be able to
1: be like, hi, those are my feet. Please remove my feet. <laughs> God, I've always been so vigilant ever since I've been at least slightly in the public eye. But that was prior to then where I was like, I'm never going to be online.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And you really didn't know those were up until right now. That's amazing. No,
1: I had no idea.
0: (laughs) You have to admit it's surprising that you wouldn't have checked or no one would have checked, especially since we've talked about.
1: Because I was sure that I had not posted pictures of my feet.
0: Hmm. Well, so what do we do? Do we ask people to go rate them higher or just ignore them? (laughs) Is it like the thing where you spill red wine on a white dress and then the solution is just to cover the thing in wine so we should put even more foot pics?
1: Oh, I can update my birthplace, birthdate, and shoe size information. How does one report this picture? (laughs) Well, I could certainly report it as underage because I was.
0: That seems like a great idea.
1: I have to be logged in to use the reporting system.
0: Oh my. Oh no.
1: Wait, people who liked my feet also liked Kristen Bell's, Caitlin Olson's, and Emma Watson's. Okay. God damn it. I have to make a wiki feed account. <laughs> so I can report my own pictures.
0: <laughs> I'm looking at a lot of these are from 2020. My WikiFeet man rating went up, actually. Used to be 4.67. Now it's 4.71. Was
1: that due to late night listeners?
0: Might be. That's plausible.
1: What should my um, username on WikiFeet be? I was going for please don't post feet, but I don't want to be too negative.
0: Official Leighton gray feet. <laughs> Leighton gray feet official. <sighs> <No.
1: laughs> Stop posting my feet. That's my username. Great. This episode has turned into me legitimately trying to get foot pics taken down.
0: (laughs) Well, here's the question is, if people know this, are they going to be dicks about it? And I mean, no one listening to this would, I think.
1: Whatever. This is a journey, guys. We're in this together. Okay. Create wiki feet. My username is stop posting my feet. The nickname is already taken.
0: (laughs) Stop posting my feet is already taken. I'm going to read some reviews of my feet from my feet thing. Kinsfeet says, man, he has amazing feet. Not wrong. Uh, Wolfie says, very nice feet. Wish we could get a close up of his soles. And WikiWookie says, this feet are magnificent and is vastly underrated. No calluses either. I'm sure his nails are nicely manicured as well. You know what? Not wrong. These are very nice comments. People who liked Brian Weck's feet also liked Eminem. Army Hammer. Aaron Hansen, Dan Avidan, and Mark Edward Fishbach.
1: Oh, they got to get that cannibal
0: feet. Yeah. Most of the M&M picks are him in a straight jacket.
1: Yeah, they only have shoes if you're in a straight jacket. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Your data has been saved. Once it's been reviewed, an email containing an activation code will be sent to your mailbox. Review could take up to 44 hours, but usually it takes much less.
0: But you have to type it in with your feet.
1: Just, why do I have to make an account to report my own underage feet?
0: <laughs> That's terrible. Should we ask people to do that, to report these? Or does it have to be just you?
1: Hopefully, I'll have them down by the time that this episode comes out. But if it doesn't, please do report my underage feet.
0: <laughs> That's so upsetting. That's, oh, I hate everything about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny bit when it's you,
0: but when it's me, it's like, oh, no. Well, the fact that you were a kid. Yeah, yeah. Oh.
1: (sighs) say la vie, motherfuckers.
0: (laughs) Are you genuinely upset?
1: I mean, I'm thrown by it. Listen, I never want anybody to think about or look at me, especially not my feet after (laughs) stating that I have the opposite of whatever a foot fetish is. But you know what? This makes for great podcasting content. So at least on my content side of my brain, I'm like, all right, this is quality podcasting.
0: It's not. Great. I'm actually surprised we didn't think to check this like a year ago. I'm surprised I didn't think to check I'm just glad my rating went up. That's all that matters in this world. How are you? As you said, it's been a week or so, and we've been texting.
1: Yeah, I'm fine. I've read seven books this week. Mm. This is a hot tip, everybody. Wherever you put your Twitter app or your social media of choice that is addictive and bad and makes your brain hurt, replace it with your ebook app. Mm. And then every time you reflexively go to check Twitter to doom scroll, you can just read a little book. But yes, I've read seven books this week because I'm an insane reader and never stop. Like full-size books. Yeah. This week I read Gerald's Game, 11 63 Johnny Got His Gun, On the Downhill Side, Zombie by Joyce Carol Oates, Of Bison Men, and The Road. And then today I started reading Cat's Cradle.
0: Mm, That's a great list of books. Have you never read Cat's Cradle before? I have not. I love Vonnegut. He's so great. He is really great. Slaughterhouse-Five is my favorite, but Cat's Cradle is also amazing.
1: Yeah, I didn't realize that the band Girl Pool is named after Cat's Cradle, which I think is neat. You ever listen to Girlpool? No. A couple of girls, indie band. They're very good. Highly recommend. But yeah, I was not a fan of The Road.
0: I've never read it.
1: Of Mice and Men was fucking great. I don't know, it's like there are three things that I don't like in horror that I almost never fuck with, which is time travel, zombies and post-apocalyptica. like none of them interest me at all. I say having read eleven
0: twenty two sixty three which is big time travel, <laughs> and also like fifteen hundred pages or something.
1: yeah, that one took me the longest this week, which was like forty eight hours.
0: <laughs> Damn,
1: you're fast. That's crazy, yeah, buddy. I won some speed reading competitions in school <laughs> very good at standardized testing to the point that they would be like, you're not done. You're not finished. Reread your work. And it's like, I already did it. And I'm going to get a perfect score. (laughs) You motherfuckers look at my history of scoring on this. These are easy. You read the questions first and then you read the piece and then you already know what the fucking questions are anyway. But 112263 in proper Stephen King form, it's like 95% of this is brilliant. The last
0: 5% is like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So I have both read that and seen the miniseries. How is the miniseries? I thought the miniseries was fucking great. And I actually saw it before I read the book, because unlike you, I'm a sucker for time travel everything. I love time travel stories. Mm. And I was like, okay, it's a period piece. It's a time travel thing. I liked the period piece element better
1: than I liked the time travel shit. Like, the Kennedy Oswald stuff was the least interesting part of it for me. I just liked the dude existing in the 60s. Did you watch it? No, I did not. I've heard that it's good, but I'm very put off by
0: James Franco. Yeah, as you are right to be. I'm not a huge Francophile. Never say that again. Right, right. (laughs) But I thought he was great in this. I really enjoyed the series to the extent where I would like... Watch it again. I thought it was solid. The book I really liked, too. As with all Stephen King books, it's like maybe 75% as long would have been even better. (laughs) Yeah. But also, like all Stephen King books, you cannot believe how fast you're reading it because it's so compelling.
1: It's so intensely, intensely readable. And then, like, two weeks ago, I reread The Shining and Pet Cemetery, which are just like, So fucking good. I would reread Misery, but I reread it every couple of months because it's like one of my favorite books. It's just the best book about hating writing.
0: (laughs) And as a professional writer, I need that fuel. Yeah. I would encourage you to watch the miniseries. I mean, it's not a huge time investment. It's maybe six hours.
1: Okay. That's respectable.
0: Yeah. They do the period stuff really, really well. I think it's six parts. I might be wrong about that, but I thought it was great.
1: All right. I might give it a chance. Have you read Johnny Got His Gun? Because that was my favorite book that I read this week.
0: No, I've never even heard of it. It's by Dalton Trumbo, which is the coolest name in the world. Oh, yes, of course. Famous blacklist. (laughs)
1: Yeah, yeah. That House of Un-American Activities Committee. But it's about a kid who goes to war and gets his eyes, ears, mouth, tongue, both arms and both legs blown off. Oh, God and the book is all taking place as he's in the hospital bed realizing what happened. And it's like a mix of his memories and him having like literally no way to communicate that he's conscious. And it's so like introspective and beautiful. And it's a very staunchly like anti-war. And then like the whole story with it coming out is that it, it was published either three days before, but I think three days after World War II started. And so Trumbo was like, oh. you know what? Maybe uh, maybe we bring this back so that we don't hurt the war effort here. <laughs> <laughs> if you like the short story, I have no mouth and must scream. It's basically the last sentence of that, but an entire book. And it's pretty like respectably short, but just like really gorgeous prose and genuinely horrifying. Like you feel claustrophobic reading it. Oh. Yeah, that was good. And then Of Mice and Men was fantastic. It's a classic. I'm surprised I did not read it in high school. And I didn't realize fucking John Malkovich was Lenny in the movie and Sherilyn Fenn's in it.
0: Really? Yeah. There must be an older movie version of that. There are a couple of movies. Right, yeah. Wow, Malkovich and Fenn.
1: Yeah. He's a weird cast for Lenny though. Mm-hmm. And I read it because of that bit in 112263 where the main dude convinces that big kid to be in the play and like right. that is actually the first time that a book has brought me to tears from being moved in like so long. Mm. And I was like, "Oh, can I force this into a full cry? Like, come on, let me at least roll one." And then it was like, "Nope, gone." <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not the biggest Steinbeck fan. I like some of it.
1: What else did he write?
0: East of Eden, Grapes of Wrath. Mm -hmm. Those are the big ones. What are the other Steinbeck ones?
1: I definitely was forced to read Grapes of Wrath for school, and I remember absolutely nothing about it.
0: I've read all three of those, but East of Eden was the most recent. That was probably about six or seven years ago, just because it was like a hole in my knowledge. It's very readable, but it, it never particularly clicked for me. My favorite thing in that book, actually, which is not in the book, is his author photo. Let's see if I can find this.
1: Yeah, please. Have you been reading anything lately?
0: Yes, actually. Here, okay, you should be not getting this picture because it didn't go, oh fuck. All right, I'm not gonna send this to you right now because I can't figure out how to do it. That's fine,
1: describe it to me.
0: Yes, he is holding a cigarette. He has a very dapper mustache and he's looking right at the camera. He's holding a cigarette, I think between his two fingers and it's a very aggressive pose. Here it is, all right, now it should come through.
1: Okay, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. I'm staring at the Sendcaster Link, I'm waiting. Uh, yeah, that's a vibe. Wow. Mm. Yep. Sometimes I wish that
0: I could grow a mustache because that's just such a look. Audrey told us she wants a big fucking bushy mustache. That's one of her goals, big old mustache.
1: Is it like genuinely scratchy to have facial hair? Like what's that experience like?
0: Well, Audrey uses my face mainly as sandpaper. Mm. Uh, I woke her up this morning and I was just kind of cuddling with her in bed and I noticed that she was taking her arm just doing that on my face. I was like, honey, please don't use me as a scratching post. (laughs) You know, I keep it short enough where it's actually like, it's not itchy for me. Mm -hmm. But if you grow it out a little bit, especially on the neck, it gets real itchy. Mm. But no, most of the time you don't really notice it. Although I will say when I grow the beard out, I do find myself stroking.
1: Yeah. Like that's the thing that I'm most jealous of or being able to do like a You know, it's thoughtful, it's contemplative, it's how people know
0: that you're serious. Yeah, that's right. It's also a really great way to annoy one's partner.
1: Yeah, my primary experience with that has just been like, dude, my face feels like it has been rubbing against a Brillo pad. Please put beard oil on this, for the love of God. Like, the lower half of my face is just bright red.
0: Yes. I mean, just also visually is really what i meant. Oh. Rachel just hates the way anything but essentially stubble looks on me. Mm-hmm. And her attitude is like, you do it, it's your face, you do what you want. But <laughs> I'm lodging a vote of complaint against nearly everything. The one she hated the most correctly was the pencil mustache, which I believe I've sent you that picture.
1: I'm not sure if you have, but was it like a John Waters pencil mustache?
0: Yes, it was. Beautiful. Here, I'll find this. This is a good one. It's very upsetting. Oh, God. Oh, God. This was such a bad choice. I had it for maybe 10 minutes, and Rachel was like, you have to stop this.
1: (laughs) Stop this fucking madness. WikiFeet account activation. Okay, thank God. Okay, it's been activated. I'm looking. Okay, wait, you've sent me an image. That's not bad, Brian. Really? Yeah, it's not bad.
0: Okay, great. Well, you and my wife differ greatly on that opinion. She really hated it. She said it looked intensely creepy.
1: I'm logged in. Let me report my own goddamn feet.
0: Well, to answer your question, what have I been reading? I just finished, and I think I talked about this on a previous episode, my first Jeff Vandermeer book.
1: Hold on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. WikiFeet.com no, says reporting system is for experienced users only. If you have a problem with a picture, please contact the admin via the contact us section. What? Welp.
0: That's stupid.
1: Contact us. Email address. Email me back, you
0: motherfuckers. Do you want me to real quick send him an email that says, Hi, my name is Leighton Gray. You're about to hear from an imposter who wants my feet (laughs) taken down. Do not pay attention.
1: I feel like I have to take a screenshot of my own WikiFeet page just for, like, posterity, unless they choose to, like, not.
0: Couldn't hurt. (sighs) You want to document that rating. It's a solid rating.
1: Yeah, it is not bad, and I need to get that comment that says my legs are too spindly.
0: Wait, that was a comment that someone left.
1: Yeah, no idea who this girl is, and her legs are a bit spindly,
0: but her feet ain't bad. Oh, I thought you were just saying that.
1: No, I wasn't evaluating my own feet. My own feet are fine. Oh,
0: well, I, I wish I could understand the thought process of someone rating random people's feet online. I don't think I will understand that.
1: Yeah, okay. What do I write in this message? Hi. I found the wiki feed page for myself, like and gray, and then I put the link.
0: Maybe include a link to, like, your Twitter or something.
1: Is it not going to let me paste?
0: I'm sure if you tell them that you were underage when these were taken, they will take this down with a quickness.
1: Oh, that's exactly what I'm saying. And all these images were taken from my Instagram, and I was underage at the time of posting... I would appreciate if you could have them taken down. Post haste, I am happy to provide a verification of my identity if needed. Thanks.
0: Do you want to attach a picture of your feet to the email so they can (laughs) make sure it's you?
1: It's like identifying bird tracks where it's like, we got to match. We got to make sure they match up.
0: (laughs) They better take these down quick. Although, I wonder what the admin suite is like. What if they're dicks about it? I mean, it's not impossible, right? It is a site on the internet, so who the fuck knows?
1: Okay, Scent. Great. We'll update y'all on
0: the WikiFeet saga. Yeah, so as I was saying, I read my first Jeff Vandermeer novel, A Peculiar Peril. It was the young adult one, right? Yes. I liked it more at the beginning than I did at the end. So basically, this teenager, maybe 16-year-old guy. Grandfather dies. He goes to investigate his crazy mansion in England. The way it was, I don't want to say advertised, but the way I read about it was like, I was like a Douglas Adamsy kind of, you know, comic, multi-genre novel. Mm-hmm. And it was not as comic as I was expecting, but I mean, that's neither here nor there. That's just an expectation. I felt like when it was trying to be funny, it was generally unsuccessful (laughs) and had so much stuff going on. I've never read a Vandermeer, although I understand this is kind of how he works. It was so packed with stuff and ideas and characters. And it's part one of a duology also, so necessarily ends on a cliffhanger. That doesn't bother me at all. But ultimately, I felt like it had all this cool stuff, cool ideas going on, and then problems were solved often so quickly and in such a passing manner that it did not feel like you had made progress plot-wise. It was like, you know, they build this thing up, and then they kind of just wave it away. And maybe that's a style. I mean, I assume it's intentional. Generally, I will assume things are intentional. You know, someone had to write it and edit it, so this went through a lot of sets of eyes, so someone wanted to do it this way. Ultimately, it didn't hang together for me, but there was some cool stuff going on. It was like, Fishman, Kafka as a character, Napoleon's ahead, and it's sort of a little bit steampunky, a little bit magic, a little bit fantasy, talking marmots, some kind of giant monster. There's a lot going on, but it was fun. I I read it pretty quick, but I'm undecided if I'll read the next part. I
1: respect a book that is not super great, but is short way more than I respect something that
0: is just completely disrespectful of your time. It definitely wasn't that. I mean, this fucker was 650, so it was a long book. You know, at 650 pages, it went by pretty quick. Yeah. But I wouldn't say it was disrespectful of the time. It just ultimately didn't hang together.
1: Yeah. But the one that
0: you're excited about? Yeah. I think I mentioned this, too. It's called Broadband. It's like the story of the women who built the internet. Yeah, yeah. I own that book. I just started it this morning, so I'm like 20 pages in. It's awesome. The woman who wrote it, I think her name is Claire Evans. And there's just like gems on every page thing. The one thing that I learned right away, which I didn't know, is so she's talking a lot about Ada Lovelace and the women who were the computers before computers meant a machine, which is now a famous thing. But apparently when they were first building the machine computers, they would measure how powerful a machine would be in units of woman hours or killer girls. Killer girls. Right. I love that. So the chapter of part one is kilo girls. So they'd be like, I'm just making up. This is like a five kilogirl machine. Because it has the computational power of 5,000 women. God, that's tight. Isn't that awesome? I should actually read that. That's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know about you, but I go through phases where, like, I either read a ton of fiction or a ton of nonfiction, but it's really hard for me to switch between the two. Because I'm usually reading, like, a couple of things at a time. Like, I'll jump around. Mm -hmm. But, like, right now, this is a little late night spoiler, but I'm working on two different new Deep Cuts episodes that I'm gonna Mm. need to do some heavy research for. Mm. And I found a bunch of books on the stuff that I want to read, but like jumping into them, some of them are very, very dense, like academic paper dense, which I can hang with, but I'm not always in the mood to just be like, just use a regular word. You don't have to use a three syllable word here. This is so (laughs) stupid. Oh yeah. Like praxis, praxis, praxis.
0: Welcome to academics. I never want to see the word praxis again. Just be normal. Yeah, apparently sociology in particular is known for this. And I think there's a movement away from this, but it was for many years, you know, the use of jargon was a mandatory and very off-putting thing. It's true in many, many, many fields, but I think sociology for some reason in particular is noted for its use of outlandish, very specific jargon that if you try to read, you're just like out of luck right away.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the beauty of, you know, reading eBooks or having a Kindle where it'll like, you can highlight it and it'll tell you what the word is. Yeah. Which is great because I like learning new words. And then there's the, what's the thing when you learn a thing and then you see it everywhere?
0: Is it pareidolia?
1: No, it's not that. It's not one of the razors either, but it's something like that.
0: Yeah. I know what you're talking about. And then suddenly it's like everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember the name for that. Yeah, pareidolia is pattern seeking, right? That's when you see patterns where there are no patterns. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What do you think is the best adaptation of a book into movie or
0: TV? Well, adaptation is up there. It's true. Have you read the book that it's based on? I have not, no. Actually, I've never read a Susan Orlean. What else has she written? She wrote this book that Rachel read that I really want to read called The Library Book. I think it's her most recent about the LA Public Library. Ooh. Rachel said it was amazing. I heard some interview with Orlean about it. So I'd love to read it. She sounds like a super cool and interesting person and a great writer. Other than that, I don't know.
1: Before we move on from that, there's a really good IMDb piece of trivia on the adaptation page that's like, one day Susan Orlean visited the set and like she met Charlie Kaufman and she was like, you have no idea how embarrassed I am right now. And then he immediately went, not as embarrassed as me and ran off the line.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow! Yeah, beautiful. That's amazing. I mean, two very cool people being very afraid of each other. <laughs> who are individually geniuses. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm trying to think of famous. I, I have nothing that jumps to mind right away. Yeah, I need to look at a list famous adaptations
1: of books. I love asking questions where I did not have an answer in mind. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, the first one my brain goes to is The Shining. Is a great movie. The Shining, the book, is a great book, yes. but it's not an adaptation of the book, The Shining.
0: Yeah. Oh, probably my favorite book and movie individually is Ready Player One, which is so good, start to finish. Yeah. What's your favorite part? It's either the readying or the playing.
1: uh uh-huh. I was more of a one guy myself. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah.
0: For whatever fucking reason, I was watching clips in that movie. I did not hate the book as much as some people I know I enjoyed reading the book, mainly because it's literally aimed like a laser at me for everything in it. Yeah. So- Except it sucks and is bad. Well, yes. But I had a great time reading it. That movie, I fucking hated. Of course. Hated that movie. I thought it was just boring, unwatchable, no good Spielberg stuff. Didn't even feel like a Spielberg to me. felt like a collection of crap, (laughs) which is, I understand how the book felt to many, many people but yeah honestly i feel like if i was 5 years younger or older that book would have done nothing for me but it does one of those things that i really really hate it's so hard to do a book with like puzzles or mysteries in it where the mysteries are basically like figure outable mm-hmm. it's so hard to pull that off and that book does not do it particularly well yeah but i'm hard pressed to think of examples that aren't like murder mysteries that do
1: Yeah, there's something about when an author is writing a mystery or a smart character that is like beyond their station and they don't know what they're talking about, and then it just comes off as like, What are you doing, dude? Oh, yeah. My true answer of the best adaptation of a book that really elevates the material by a lot is American Psycho. That's true. That book is fucking unbearable. Brad Easton Ellis is a cartoonish douche.
0: He sucks. He totally sucks. He's
1: the fucking worst.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know, and it's such a bummer.
1: But Mary Heron, the woman directing that movie, makes so much sense, and it's a fantastic movie. I love it so much. I haven't read No Country for Old Men, but that is what's coming up on these lists a lot.
0: That's another Cormac McCarthy, right?
1: Yep. I mean, like his prose in The Road was really great. It's just like... (laughs) I mean, there's a roasted baby on a stick, which I was into. Well, that's about
0: it. Sure, you got to do that.
1: The moment you throw baby death into something, I'm like, all right, I respect this. You
0: went there. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about right after I graduated from college, I have a friend who's an actor. Did he roast a baby on a spit? Well, I'm sort of getting there. She was in a play called Paradise Hotel, which I understood after going to see it or reading about it or something. this is like late 90s in New York, that the actual title of the play was Hotel Fuck. So we walk in and there were skull babies all over the set, like baby dolls with skulls on them all over the set. Okay, into it. I remember looking this up at some point. I think this is considered by some to be like a very important piece of art. It's like a thing people know about. Can't remember who the playwright was. But all I remember from this play is that it Fulfilled every negative stereotype I had of experimental theater, where people were talking in very exaggerated French accents throughout the whole thing, and someone would walk up and they'd be like, Oh, are we going to the Hotel Fuck? I hear there's a lot of fucking at the Hotel Fuck. And then someone would say, no, we are going to the Hotel Beautiful Roses, where all the beautiful roses are. And then someone else would walk in and say, I want to go to the hotel, fuck to fuck. Like this for like an hour and a half. My friend was in it. Again, like, I want to take this shit seriously and be respectful, but it was so over the top bad. My tastes run fairly avant-garde. I don't know a lot about experimental theater, so I didn't really have context for this. But I was like, I do not see what is going on here. But I will always remember, are we going to the hotel fuck to fuck surrounded by (laughs) Skull Babies on this set? Was there a narrative purpose for the Skull Babies? No, it was just like set dressing, as far as I could tell.
1: There's something like so horrible about seeing bad improv or bad theater because of the intimacy of it. Like when I was taking an acting for non-majors class in college slash high school, Like, we had to go to a certain number of university plays, like, every semester. And God, I saw some fucking awful plays. Yeah. It's like, it's mandatory that I'm here. I got to write a paper on this. I'm going to suffer. I dragged somebody else in there once, and I was like, okay, I can never put one of my friends through this ever again.
0: Yeah. But it's so hard, like anything. There are a lot of people trying very hard, and you never want to be derogatory or dismissive of people's, you know, efforts, but sometimes shit's really bad. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of bad improv because most improv is bad. And that's not even a judgment. That's just like a statement of fact.
1: It's just inherent. That is the art of it is elevating it beyond the bad.
0: <laughs> and oh, like bad theater is bad. Bad improv is somehow worse.
1: Wow. Brian, I Googled hotel fuck and you're going to be so surprised to hear this. Tell me. But it seems like there are full length versions of this play on like a ton of websites like, um, oh, X Hamster, <laughs> got X Videos, Tube Safari. <laughs> These all seem really legit. I wonder if they have other plays on here.
0: Let me look and see if I can actually find it. Okay,
1: yeah. Good luck searching any variation of Hotel Fuck.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> Hold on. I have an idea here Hotel Fuck in quotes. Oops. Oh, no. I forgot to put the (laughs) quote in. Hotel Fuck, in quotes, and then I'm going to try experimental theater. I found it. Wow. Okay, yes. Here it is. Here it is. It's by Richard Foreman, who's the founder of the Ontological Hysteric Theater, which is a very famous thing. And let's see. Major Works, Paradise Hotel, aka Hotel Fuck, New York City, 1998. This must be the production I saw. Toured to Paris, Copenhagen, Salzburg, and Berlin. Wow, this guy is, like, very prolific.
1: Yeah. I hate art, actually. I think art is bad, and I think
0: artists are cowards. Oh. (laughs) Hold on. Let me read this. Okay. So this is from Playbill, 1998. To get some kind of bearing on the surreal philosophical musings of legendary downtown director, designer, playwright Richard Foreman... His 46th play and latest play, Paradise Hotel, begins with the following statement. This is a quote. All audiences must now be informed that the play Paradise Hotel is not, in fact, the play Paradise Hotel, but is, in truth, a much more disturbing and possibly illegal play entitled Hotel Fuck. For this, we apologize. And the summary of this is, uh, in Hotel, a typically form esque group of paranoid sexual adventurers get tangled in a war between good and bad hotels, their dreams of sexual nirvana, leading them from catastrophe to catastrophe. Okay. Sure.
1: Edgelords like this give us edgelords a bad name.
0: Yes, totally.
1: Listen, I'm a humble edge farmer. It's not much, but it's an honest living, and these Mm -hmm. people just want to take this beautiful thing away from us. Allow me to transgress without being cringe. Amen. That is the edgelord's prayer. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> I like that a lot. The edgelord's prayer. <laughs> Say it again. Allow me to transgress without being cringe.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> that is pretty fucking great. That reminds me of the benediction that one of my favorite comic writers slash radio hosts, Andy Breckman, one of my all-time favorite radio shows on WFMU, Seven Sides of For many years, they would begin with the following benediction, which was, may this show succeed while the shows of my friends fail. And yet, may I always be perceived as a team player.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's good shit. Yeah. Makes me think of just how grim it is that the prayer that is taught to children is, now I lay me down to sleep. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I always want to go the Shel Silverstein route on that last line, which is, uh, I pray the Lord my toys to break. (laughs) But, you know, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Amen. Like... I I did that one every night for a long time as a small child. Really? Yeah. Oh, God. I had a lot of God fear as a child, but mostly the God fear was like, Mm -hmm. I have to keep up appearances that I totally believe in the sky, man, lest I be punished (laughs) by my extended family. (laughs) It's fun. But it was mostly me kneeling next to my bed and looking out the door to see if I could catch my dad watching The Simpsons because I was not allowed to watch The Simpsons that young.
0: (laughs) So your parents, like, would enforce that you said prayers every night?
1: No, no, not at all. But there was some of that social familial pressure and also being a child and being like, I have to do this because God can hear all of my horrible thoughts. Yes. And my dead relatives are watching me at every second of every day. And it's a really great way to just give children anxiety.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, about everything.
1: Yeah. Every Catholic I know... It's just like, oh, man, this really programmed you to be a very anxious person. Oh, God, I hope nobody gets mad at me, including my family, for saying these
0: things. I feel like that's Christianity in general, right? Yeah. I don't know. Every religion has its share of anxiety.
1: As much as I dunk on it, I will say I'm deeply envious of people who are religious and have belief in a greater system rather than the relentless entropy of a universe that does not care
0: for us. (laughs) So good on you guys. Yeah. I mean, I I like entropy. I find a lot of comfort in entropy. I taught entropy. I taught thermodynamics. Really? I like entropy a lot. Tell me about entropy. Well, there's like a technical definition, but roughly speaking, you know, the quick definition is disorder. Mm -hmm. Roughly speaking, entropy is like the amount of different things, different states a system can be in. Very, 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 very roughly speaking. But it's the disorder in a system, and it always must increase in any closed system. And that is a fundamental law of thermodynamics. And there are amazing things about entropy. Like entropy is what you call a state variable, which is that it is a macroscopic quantity of a system that's based on, like many things, the microscopic properties of the system. But you can quantify a system by specifying its entropy, among other thermodynamic. Quantities. Mm. So, what else? Amazing things about entropy. There are analogs of the laws of thermodynamics for black holes. And for a black hole, the amount of entropy in a black hole is the equivalent of entropy, is the area of the event horizon, or it's proportional to that. Right. So, black holes have an analog of temperature, which is like the curvature, and they have an analog of entropy. And that entropy is the area of the event horizon, which in a black hole, because a black hole, classically, black hole keeps eating shit and gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so the entropy, the, the area of the event horizon gets bigger and bigger and bigger because the radius of the black hole gets bigger as it eats more stuff. Quantum mechanically, there's a different side to the story because black holes can radiate away due to quantum mechanical processes. But classically, that entropy is always going to increase. Hell yeah. When people want to know what is Hawking famous for? One of the big things is he was the first person with another guy, Beckenstein. Or actually, was it just Hawking? Beckenstein, hawking might be something else. I forget exactly what the credit is, but Hawking showed that black holes could evaporate due to quantum mechanics.
1: Got it. Okay. My brain mildly feels like it is a popsicle with gumball eyes melting on a hot summer sidewalk, but I did understand at least some of that.
0: That's exciting. Entropy rules. It's great. It's somewhat hard quantity to wrap your brain around, but it's a fun thing.
1: Yeah. Like philosophically, I'm with you in terms of like embracing the absurdism of like, if you personally accept that, like, okay, nothing's really looking out for me here, but that's fine because that means I get to imbue my life with its own meaning and see humor and the dumb shit that happens because life is so inherently absurd, which I guess is reading Cat's Cradle. I'm like, okay, yeah, absurdism.
0: Yeah. Having a child also helps with that because you're just like, oh, here's a tiny human. that can't do anything except poop all over the place then everything seems like, well, what the fuck is going on in the world anyway? I'm just going to take care of this little thing.
1: Yeah. And isn't that all we can really do in this life is take care of a little thing or a series of little things, us being the little things.
0: I love my little thing though. She's so cute.
1: (laughs) I also love my little thing wherever she is. I think she's under that blanket. Maybe. I don't know. It's always a fun game of like, where
0: the fuck is my dog? Because <laughs> she's so tiny. Did you see this viral thing about the chihuahua prancer? Yeah.
1: <laughs> the soul of an 18th century Victorian youth
0: trapped in a chihuahua's body. How did they describe it? It was like 50% rage, 50% tremble, I think was in the post.
1: Yeah, completely accurate. My only five-year plan is have another chihuahua. <laughs> I need maybe to have a little friend because it would be the cutest in the world.
0: Yeah. I feel like we need to talk about piss talk.
1: No, we don't need to talk about piss talk. We already got the fetish stuff into this episode. I don't want to talk about piss talk.
0: Okay, well, I sent Leighton and Jarek an article earlier, and we're not really going to get into it about the ironic piss fetishization on TikTok, which is worth your time. We'll post a link to it. It's in Rolling Stone.
1: See, because when you sent me that, I thought it was about... Also, a very real thing on TikTok where people are doing it unironically for the fetish content of just, like, here's me pissing in my diesel jeans. That's what I thought it was
0: going to be. But it's more ironic. Yeah. (sighs) The screenshot I sent to me says it all, where one of these people who was joking about, you know, like, pee on me, ha, ha, ha. Well, this is a quote from the article. After posting her video, she was surprised to see in the comments that many people thought she was serious. And it's like... Have you never used the internet before?
1: Yeah, there's got to be some sort of Godwin's Law or whatever about, you know, just assume that everyone is going to assume that everything you say on the internet is 100% serious.
0: Always. Unless you say this is serious, and then everyone will assume that it's a joke. Yeah. Oh, I found a great thing. Actually, I really like it. It's a browser plugin that demetricizes social media, specifically Twitter. So it completely removes any number from followers, retweets, all that stuff. Oh. So you can go onto Twitter and you can't see anyone's metrics, yours or anyone else's. I hadn't realized that this mattered to me until I installed this plugin and all this stuff vanished. And I felt this wave of relief, like I haven't felt when it comes to Twitter in years because I was like, oh, I can't see it anymore. I'm not going to know if anybody cares about this. You know, you can, like, click on things and see comments, but...
1: Yeah, and then when you see a dumb opinion that has 200,000 retweets or whatever, it keeps some of your faith in humanity intact, at least.
0: Yeah, totally. And it's just so nice to not worry about, you know, like, how many people retweeted this or whatever. To me, I wouldn't say I worry about it, but I am interested in the metrics for trend reasons, like, yeah, you know... Just in general, right?
1: And also promoting your stuff. Like, that is sort of something you have to keep an eye on. Generally, the rule for me and the disheartening thing for me, and I think this is true for most people, is like, post a drawing, that's like 100 likes. Post a picture of my face, 3,000 likes. This totally sounds like a humble brag, but there's a thing to, oh, this thing that I worked hard on, nobody gives a fuck about. People just care about this thing because I'm hot. Like, it... I love to be a woman on the internet and have people post pictures <laughs> of my underage feet. <laughs> I wish I could zoom this webcam at will for a comedic effect. Alas, I cannot.
0: I don't know if that's true for me with the, if I post a selfie, does it get more engagement? I don't think so in particular, but so I think that is definitely a woman thing. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I love online. There's no rhyme or reason as far as I can tell to what I post that gets engagement either with me or NSP.
1: Yeah. And honestly, I don't want to understand it. There was a point in my life, especially when we were working on Dream Daddy, that was all about how do we make the most shareable thing possible? And now I just would like to be as inaccessible as possible. Yeah. yeah. I make content for myself,
0: not for you. Don't look at me. I saw some quote, I think Danny found it or something, where it was like, when I was little, I wanted to be famous. Now all I want to do is live in a trailer in the woods. Oh my God. This is a sentiment that literally everyone I know, including me, has expressed multiple
1: times. I'm faking my own death and moving to a cabin in the woods. Yeah. It's just simple living. We
0: talk about Twitter a lot on here. We talk about Twitter like every single episode. It's so unbearable recently, just in yeah. general.
1: I've loved not looking at it and reading books instead because it also means that I fabricated a moral high horse But I love when people are like, oh, did you see that thing? I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what the discourse is. I don't care. I don't care about who's mad. I don't care about who's being shitty. I don't care about who's being canceled today. Like,
0: ignorance is bliss. I would do a thing with NSP where I schedule tweets, except part of living on the internet in 2021 is that you have to check that some (laughs) horrible tragedy hasn't just happened before you post something and then sound like an ignorant monster. Because, like, sometimes I'll just write a bunch of jokes and schedule them to go. And I had some scheduled tweet that came out right after an Eagles of Death Metal concert in Paris. And there was some kind of shooting, you know, big tragedy.
1: Sorry, the shootings all run together for me at this point.
0: Yeah, right. But this one was weird because it was in Paris, right? Anyway, some tragedy. And we had some NSP tweet that had been scheduled to go out. And went out, I don't know, while this was taking over Twitter, and people got so mad. And I was like, I mean, I guess I get it, but it's also...
1: It was a scheduled tweet. Yeah. You schedule tweets. Sometimes it doesn't work out. And I
0: wasn't online that, whatever. Yeah. I do want to show you something, because this is important. I don't think you got this text. Oh, Oh, you got the Queen Bee today. I got the Queen Bee today.
1: Earlier today, folks, Brian and I were texting about spe- New York Times spelling bee, as we do on our Patreon. If you want to pay money for a Patreon, we do spelling bee and New York Times crosswords sometimes every week in mini sets. Today was good. The center letter was a W. It's weird. What pushed you to Queen Bee? Because I hit a wall around one whatever I sent you.
0: Oh, I think you said it was 116, I think. There was an eight-letter word that I hadn't found, and that's what got me there. Hold on. I found 24 words. I have the stats. Do you want me to tell you how many words you need? Yeah. 26.
1: Fuck! How am I missing two?
0: And you have how many points? 116? Yeah. All right. So you're missing, it's hard to say, but probably like a five and a five or something, right?
1: Yeah. I got yowl, riley, worry, worldly, wordy wordily, word, woolly, wool, mm-hmm. woody, wood, wiry, wily, willowy, willow, will, wildwood, which was just a guess on my part.
0: That's the one that pushed me over, Wildwood. Ah. It's also a town in New Jersey. Oh, wildly,
1: wild, widow, rowdy, rowdily, dowry, and dowdy.
0: By the way, fucking stupid that dowed is not a word.
1: Dude, I was totally thinking of Van Dowd, champion.
0: That's totally weird. word. Also, willy should have been a legitimate word.
1: Yeah, there were several of them that We're stupid.
0: I think I might see the ones you're missing. Anyway, I think you're close. There were no, like, insane words I've never heard of before this week.
1: Hmm.
0: Ridiculous. Should we move on to segments? Yeah, sure. There'll be a short one this week.
1: Yeah, it's short. It's just you and I, we've covered a variety of extremely interesting topics that people will love. (laughs) Uh, Is it time for What's Poppin'? Here's the theme song. What's poppin'?
0: What's poppin'? Layden, what's popping?
1: What's popping for me is I was going to suggest Johnny Got His Gun, but we talked about it already. So I'm going to recommend a YouTube rabbit hole that I love. It's a channel that I love, and I was talking to Aaron and Susie last night. I referenced something as being similar to Dino Tendies, and they were like, wait, you've mentioned this several times. What is that? Dino Tendies? Dino Tendies. I'm going to send you a video without any of the context.
0: Okay. I'm ready.
1: Three, two, one, go. Please describe what you are viewing. Folks, this is called Romantic Dinner for Two, Cheese Fondue, uploaded by Dino attendees.
0: So someone is dumping what looks like a giant bag of easy cheese into a clear pot on a- Sorry, it's a fishbowl. Oh, it's a fishbowl, okay, great, thank you. Uh, On a stove. It's 731, according to the digital reader. This is an electric stove. I was really squeezing out all that cheese somebody got in the stove. Are these packages of is maybe defrosting something? Right. She's dumping a bunch of hot water, I think, into this, oh, this is so upsetting. <laughs> cheese bowl full of, cheese bowl, fish bowl full of cheese Whiz and stirring it. With a
1: hanger, a bent hanger.
0: Oh, that is a hanger, isn't it?
1: I consider myself a Dino 10 scholar. Yeah, that comes up in several
0: videos. Wow! All right, really tap that hanger a on the few side there. Yeah, a few moments <laughs> later. All right, I think the fishbowl broke. Yes,
1: and some the dubstep. The fishbowl
0: broke. Yes, there's some dubstep playing. Jesus, pouring down the side of the stove. Buddy's. Oh, How, why is he touching that? It's gonna be hot. There's cheese. There's processed cheese all over this. Stove. No, he's
1: just scraping it upsettingly with his hands.
0: With his hand, yeah. There's presumably broken glass here. This seems like a bad idea. Oh yeah. Idea. All right, now he's dumping the cheese into is a really dirty looking kitchen counter, dumping the cheese into a glass bowl. Is, I think is that are those potato chips in the background? I just gave the okay sign.
1: The ones in the back are Pringles that he put in the oven, which is a oh. regular move for Dino Tendies.
0: All right, and now he's slicing up some Spam and has a can of Vienna sausage, too. Oh, just took a bite out of raw, unheated Spam.
1: The dubstep's still going. Yeah. Cubing it.
0: Did I mention the can of Vienna sausage? Armor brand Vienna sausage. Is this what this channel is? Yes. We just dumped out the Vienna sausage on some cardboard. (laughs) Um, I've got some Pringles, setting it out. And that's it.
1: Okay, so I (laughs) highly recommend that you watch more videos from this channel. I should have picked one that has the possums in it. Very little is actually known about this guy. He never shows his face. He never talks. We don't know where he lives. But essentially, he is squatting in this house that all of it looks like this kitchen. Like, he has a bunch of videos where he goes, like, dumpster diving for stuff, which is very telling about the state of food waste in America. And then he cooks. And he has possums that he's friends with, and he feeds the possums. And so, he lets the possums in, and he cooks for the possums. And, like, they hide in the little warming tray under his oven. Um, But they are an absolute fucking delight.
0: These are real live
1: possums? Yes.
0: Fucking crazy.
1: Yeah, there are several of them, and he's named them. But yeah, I love Dino attendees. Ross was the one who introduced me to him, so I'm very grateful. It's just an absolute delight. And also, like, so few views for
0: something this good. So yeah, that's what's popping for me. Wow. What's popping for you? It's also a YouTube channel, actually, ah. this week. I don't know how Rachel found it. The person's name is Tomosteen. Do you know this channel? mm This is a person who does absolutely stunning stop motion animation.
1: Oh, I've seen these. These are amazing.
0: Yeah, here, watch this one. So the person uses Dice and Lego to Mm -hmm. do these little animations. They're so cute.
1: The sound design on these is amazing.
0: Sound design is incredible. I think the person is Japanese. I'm not totally sure. I mean, it sounds like a vaguely Japanese name. And Audrey loves watching them. They're really cute. They're really fun. And the animation is just unreal. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, yeah, because I think the first one of these I remember in the very early days of YouTube where like somebody did the first Lego cooking short mm-hmm. where they make like guacamole with like little poker chip chips. Mm-hmm. That was like nominated or won in Oscar. Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. I don't think this is the same person, but it did sort of kick off a trend where a lot of people do this.
0: This channel is pretty new. It's just like a couple of years old. Mm. All Audrey wants to do is watch this. Yeah, it's very satisfying. It's very satisfying. It's really fun. Yeah, that's it. That's what's popping. I love that channel. It's great.
1: Lovely. That's a good one. All right. That's two YouTube channels. Getting those holes, everybody. Getting that YouTube hole. Hell yeah. All right. We've arrived at our final segment, which is a gratitude exercise and also an opportunity to bitch about something minor. I'll go first. We'll start with a lemon. Great. My lemon is, you know, when you bite a place in your mouth, like the corner of your mouth, and then you have a bump there that's really painful that you can't stop worrying with your tongue. Uh I have one of those.
0: Thank you for using the word worrying like that. I like that use of the word worrying to mean just like poking at. I like that.
1: Yeah. And then you eat stuff and then you catch it again and it hurts. It's like Similar to the feeling of getting a coffee or a hot chocolate and taking a big fat sip and then you burn your tongue like a motherfucker and then the rest of the drink is ruined because your tongue's so burned. Mm -hmm. It's good stuff. That's my lemon. What about you?
0: My lemon is that before we left on our trip for Big Bear, we knowingly left a small load of laundry in the open washing machine just being like, you know what? We knew what we were doing. This was not an unconscious decision. Left it there, being like, we'll deal with it when we get back. And then we got back. It smelled like complete ass, which (laughs) was maybe not the most surprising (laughs) thing. But we had to do the thing where you, like, dump fucking vinegar in your washing machine to make it stop – to, like, disinfect it and make it stop smelling like moldy crap.
1: Yeah.
0: It was gross and not a difficult fix, but you don't want to, like, get back from your family vacation and then – just smell wet laundry. Coming home from
1: a vacation to any smell is not great.
0: It was upsetting. Yeah. That's my lemon.
1: Shall we do Peaches? We also never introduced this show.
0: Oh yeah. This is late night. All right. Moving on.
1: It's late at night with Brian White. That's Brian White I'm late and hi. This is a great episode. So I will do my Peaches. I went to Whole Foods 365 on Glendale for the first time in 365. Mm. I have not gone there because it's expensive and very tiny, and I am afraid, but I went early in the morning on Saturday, and I bought a variety of fancy cheeses because I really wanted some fancy cheeses. It's a thing I've been missing, and I got some nice manchego. I got some dill Havarti, and I forget what it's called, but it's the cheese that's like soaked in red wine. That's the stuff.
0: Oh, what is that called?
1: Fuck. Why can't I remember that? I
0: don't know. It's
1: amazing, though. Folks, if you've never had that, do yourself a favor and get that wet cheese. I mean, it's not wet, but it's like moist,
0: but it's still kind of a hard cheese. I thought they were shutting that store down.
1: I know. I also thought that, but it's still there. So I'm going to continue to take advantage of it as long as I can.
0: And it is slightly cheaper than a normal Whole Foods.
1: It is. Thankfully, it's still expensive, though. It's stupid. My second one is that my lovely friend, Allison, who is a listener of the show and who moved to LA, which is very exciting. She's a tattoo artist, and we are collaborating where I'm drawing a flash sheet for her to tattoo. Nice. That's awesome. So if you're in the LA area and you want a tattoo that's my art and from my very, very, very talented friend, that will be available soon.
0: So that means you can go to her and choose one of your drawings Mm -hmm. from the sheet to get tattooed. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, so I'm working on those. And then my last peach is that I was able to find a location that had extra vaccines, and I was able to get my first poke. Nice. So I got my first poke, and I'll get my second poke on May 5th.
0: I did the same. Hey, did you get side effects from it? My arm hurt for a couple days.
1: Yeah, I got like mega fatigue for that evening, and then the next day. I know the second one is going to get me real bad.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's what everybody says. Although I talked to a friend yesterday who had a second shot and was like, nope, it's fine. No side effects. So Shit. But probably if the first one hit you, then the second one will.
1: What kind did you get?
0: I got Pfizer. Nice.
1: Moderna Squad. Hell yeah. Yeah. The place that I went, it was a very smooth process. Everyone was friendly. I was getting it and the lady was like, you're not scared or anything? Are you ready? And I was like, "No, I'm ready to go." And she was like, "Oh, I'm always excited when somebody's a little scared because then they get to see how painless it is." <laughs> <And> like that <laughs> relief is exciting.
0: <laughs> Which was very sweet. Oh, that's nice.
1: So, that's good. Folks, if you're able, please get vaccinated. It is extremely important.
0: Yes, I 100% agree. If you have any doubts, talk to your doctor about it. There are some immunocompromised people who need to talk to a doctor first, but generally speaking, these vaccines are so effective, it's ridiculous and incredibly safe. I made the mistake of posting a thing about, hey, everybody get vaccinated on Twitter. Yeah. And on Instagram. And people argued with you. (laughs) Well, they argued, but I don't respond. So I wouldn't exactly say they argued with me, they argued at me. And I saw a bunch of people saying, oh, you know, well, we don't have the data yet. We have the fucking data millions of people have gotten these vaccines. Yeah. And they are safe. There's no compelling reason for most people to not get one.
1: Yeah. I imagine we're preaching to the choir here, but like it's free. There're probably a lot of places near you that have extras or if you have a medical condition obviously you should get it. Yeah. But especially in the LA area, I've kept my ear to the ground and that's how I found the place that I got mine at. I know there were a bunch of Bakersfield because it's like a few hours north of LA.
0: That that's where I went.
1: Ah, nice. Yeah.
0: But yeah, folks, do
1: it so that
0: you can indeed stay safe and come hard. I feel like that was an early drop of that. That's right. This is science. Getting a vaccine makes you hotter. It's just true. That's how science works.
1: Getting a vaccine will make you come harder. So that's true. That's the stuff. Uh, And also, if you want to stay safe and come hard, we now have our black metal stay safe and come hard shirt. Maybe there was a bumper for this at the beginning of the episode. I don't know. I'm just reminding you because (laughs) it's cool.
0: Yeah, we have that shirt, merch.ladennight.com. And it's great. I love the shirt.
1: Yeah, it's a lovely shirt. We also still have beanies and long sleeves available.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Well, that's this episode of Late Night with Brian. I haven't done
0: my peaches. What are you talking about?
1: Oh, fuck. I'm an asshole. Do your peaches. Oh, my God. Wow. Wow. There's egg on my face. You go ahead. I don't know if I should do them now. No, please. I want to hear them.
0: Well, I have to think of them. (sighs) Well, okay. I'll go. Since you asked, I'll go. When we were in Big Bear, I took Audrey down her first alpine slide. Do you know what an alpine slide is? No, I have no idea. (laughs) An alpine slide is an extremely dangerous concrete semicircle that winds its way down a mountain, and you're on a little cart kind of thing where it has a single brake, like a handbrake. You push it forward to go fast and you pull it back to go slow. Basically, if you push it forward, the thing's on wheels. You pull it back, it's on little, like, runners that are rubbing against the side. So you can control how fast you go.
1: This looks like a nightmare.
0: It's really fun. I used to do these all the time when I was a kid. I don't like fast, bumpy things, but you don't have to go that fast. So there was one open in Big Bear, and I took Audrey. We have to ride in the same cart because she's too small to ride by herself. (laughs) And you start off, you're at the the little lip, and you go down. It's like a little, I don't know, it's maybe a couple-foot drop but it kicks you off down the mountain, on this lift and it goes like, go. And so you push forward and then we dropped and went and she just went, yes! <laughs> she was so excited. She was like screaming with joy in the way that only kids can the whole time. She was just like, yeah, yeah! And we got to the bottom, it's like a couple minute ride and she practically exploded from happiness when we got to the bottom of this alpine slide. It was so cute. And she was just like, again, 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 again. And we we probably went on this thing like four times that day, and then three times a different day. We went back to this place like four times. And it's like five bucks a ride per person, so it's not that expensive. She just could not have loved it anymore. It is one of those rare parenting things when you really see your child explode with happiness. It's the best. Oh, it was so great. She really loved it, so. Beautiful. Watching her just be happy is the best. That's peach number one. Let's see. Peach number two. I'll tell you specifically what peach number two is. It was being in a place, like temperature was in the 30s at night, and I could open a window. And the (sighs) room gets suffused with cold sleeping air, which is the The best. best. So you're in a warm blanket, and the room is like, it's not freezing, but it's cold. Yeah. And... I have such clear memories of when I lived in Boston in the like mid 2000s as a postdoc in the months of like October, maybe a little November, and then again in like March, keeping the bedroom window open and just having that cold air right there. uh, It's the best sleeping weather. Yeah. And as always, because this is what I do, I slept like complete crap because I'm a terrible sleeper, but the temperature was great.
1: Yeah. There's something about like being able to be all cozy and then you throw like one leg out of the covers and it's
0: perfection. Yep. One leg out of the covers. It's the best.
1: Why is that like the best thing in the world? Like you bunch it up like between your knees so it's good for your back and then uh, it's living. It's the
0: absolute best. The way our bedroom works right now, there's no window we can really open. Right. We have like a French door that leads outside from the bedroom, which I'm not keeping a door to my bedroom that leads to the outside open at night. Yeah. Uh Uh-uh. Not happen. I mean, to the backyard, but still like. No, but that's a fuck no for me. No. First of all, Rachel definitely doesn't want it. I don't want it either. It just seems like you're asking for trouble.
1: You're asking to get the strangers.
0: 100%. And then there's like a tiny window on the other wall, which would not work well for this purpose. So we can't do this at home.
1: You just get a fan in there. It's not the same, but it's something.
0: It's not the same as cold mountain air. And let's see. Peach number three is we found a new amazing donut place up in Big Bear called Dank Donuts. I got matching mugs for me and Leighton and Jarek. And I love it. Because I texted them a picture of this place. These donuts were fucking awesome. Yeah, this place was like, oh, ha, 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 Dank Donuts, ha, ha. And it's called Dank Donuts because it's the highest donut shop on the West Coast at elevation almost 7,000 feet. Wow. But the donuts were like super great.
1: What kind of donuts did you get?
0: I got my favorite type of donut. Can you guess my favorite type of donut? Cream filled? No, that's a good guess. All right. Blueberry cake. I would never have guessed. Nope, I love blueberry. Love blueberries and blueberry things. Really? Yes. I hate blueberries. Oh, I love them. Always have.
1: This is like the cheese... For me, you hate cheese. I fucking love cheese. We've now found the cheese analog for me. I'm not into blueberries.
0: That's right. Ever since I was a kid, love blueberries and I love blueberry cake donuts. That was hands down my favorite Dunkin' Donuts donut. And I guess Dank Donuts, Like their specialty is blueberry cake donut. And it's fucking great.
1: Wow. What did Audrey get?
0: Audrey likes donut holes because she can just pop them. So I got her a bunch of glazed donut holes. She also does like sprinkled donuts, but classics. we did not get those there. The donut she really likes is lemon poppy seed. That's her actual favorite donut, which is like- Interesting. You can get it at Blue Star or Donut Friend around here. It's like a thing. Yeah. And Rachel got glazed twist.
1: That's the good stuff. Yeah. I'm a fan of like a maple bar myself mm-hmm. or just like plain glazed or like one of the ones that's just coated in sugar.
0: Yep. There's this place in Minneapolis, or it's probably not technically Minneapolis, although it might be, called Mellow Glaze Donuts. It is the most no-frills donut shop you could imagine. It's like many things out there. It's like next to some fucking lake. You know, it's in some rando little corner of of two streets, and they have the best donuts you've ever had in your life, and it's this tiny little no-frills, you know. One person behind the counter, scads of twists as big as your head kind of donut shop. It's just, it's the best. It will always be the best donut I've ever had.
1: We have one of those in uh, Wilmington in Carolina Beach, which actually was voted number one best donut in America. Really? Yeah. It's called Brit's Donuts. And it's the exact same thing where it's like a little counter and you can only get plain glazed donut and like a styrofoam cup of milk. And that's it. Mm. You go to the boardwalk, the line goes all the way down the boardwalk, but they're just like... Yes. Fuck, they're like dissolve in your mouth good. Yep. And you eat them on the beach and it's perfect. And then there's also another weed-themed donut shop in Wilmington that I love called Wake and Bake. Oh, nice. Yeah. Those are some good donuts. I applied for a job there when I was a teenager. I did not get the job.
0: Aw. It's
1: tragic. I could have been eating
0: donuts all day. Are you a Krispy Kreme fan?
1: I love some Krispy Kreme. Yeah. I always got straight A's on my report cards, so... You get those free donuts.
0: Rachel's a donut connoisseur, uh, connoisseuse, I guess. And she does not like the, I think they're called raised donuts. Whatever the Krispy Kreme style is where it's not like a cake donut, it's like kind of wispier.
1: Mm, Yeah.
0: When we lived in England, this was exclusively the only kind of donut we could find. And it made her furious. Yeah. Like, we couldn't get like those cake donuts, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I like both a lot. I think most places I will go for a cake donut over whatever that is, but like always, it's a mood thing. You know, when we were at the old office, I would swing by Dunkin' Donuts every day and get the fucking large iced mocha, which is the worst possible thing you could drink. And then like a completely plain cake donut. In a couple of orders of their stupid little hash browns, and I would always leave one bag of them on Ali's desk every morning, and now I'm sad.
0: Do you understand how remarkable it is that there's a Dunkin' Donuts in L.A.? Yeah. I mean, we grew up with these all over Jersey and then in Boston and everything. I remember moving out here to grad school in San Diego, no Dunkin' Donuts. And then a couple of them, I guess, opened up here, and it was like, what the shit? Oh, my God. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I'm surprised that there
1: are Chick-fil-A's here.
0: Yeah. There's no Bojangles here, right? I've never even heard of that. Oh, fuck,
1: Brian. Bojangles is like the fast food chain, it's like fried chicken. Mm. It's incredible. You get a Bowberry biscuit in the morning, which you would love because it's like, (laughs) it's blueberry biscuit covered in glaze. That sounds great. They have little sweet potato pies, sort of like apple pies from McDonald's, but it's sweet potato. And you can get them to give you the glaze to put on it. That's my Bojangles hack. Oh, wow. Okay. And then that pink lemonade that's like so sweet that you have to cut it. Yes. Uh, Folks, if you have a Bojangles near you, please eat some of that in my honor. Please. Also Steak and Shake. I think all the Steak and Shakes closed. Steak and Shake isn't even that good, but it's like a huge nostalgia thing for me. I've never been to one. Really? (laughs) There's Steaks and Shakes. They had good burgers and like shoestring fries. And I always loved a good Nutella milkshake. It's just good stuff.
0: We didn't have those in Jersey growing up. We did have a couple of places called Steak and Ale, which I also never went to. Yeah. That wasn't like fast food. That was like sit down kind of stuff. Steak and Shake is sort of, Sit
1: down, which is interesting because it's fast food and it has a drive through. But like if you go inside, it's a sit down, you know, you have a waiter, waitress, whatever. Hmm. Were there any like local fast food chains for
0: you in Jersey? Let's see, chains. So New Jersey has this thing called char grills, which I've never seen anything quite like this anywhere else. There was one called the Anthony Wayne in Wayne, New Jersey. Anthony Wayne, a Revolutionary War general. This place was right next to the very famous and now defunct Fountains of Wayne, where the band takes its name from, which uh-huh. was a giant garden store that sold complete bullshit. And so what a char grill is, it's like you walk in, and they have a giant kind of broiler slash griddle, and you can get—it's nothing special. It's just like steaks and fries and milkshakes and that kind of stuff. But it's somewhere between— fast food and sit down, leaning more towards fast food. But I've never seen anything quite like this anywhere else in the country. This place, the Anthony Wayne had an amazing sandwich called a mixed grill, which was a burger with Taylor ham. Oh, fuck. That sounds so good. And they put mayo on it. And they had like crinkle cut fries. And it was just Unreal. A burger with Taylor Ham sounds so good. You'd sit in this, like, part of the restaurant where it was very dimly lit. The walls were, I don't know what you call it, but it's like, you know, big rocks in cement. Mm -hmm. Kind of that style thing. And it's very, like, red carpet, sort of rustic, like wagon wheels and shit on the walls. Round tables all over the place with wooden chairs. And we went there all the time growing up. Anthony Wayne on... I think it was 46, Route 46 and Wayne. Oh, so great. And there are a bunch of those all over Jersey. They all have like the char, the grill, the broiler, yeah. you know, names like that. This one was the Anthony Wayne.
1: Now I just really want Taylor ham, which my preferred term is pork roll,
0: which probably makes me a heathen, but. uh No, I mean, you're aligned with roughly half of New Jersey. Yeah. So the wrong half.
1: When I was living at home still, like that was my go-to little lunch, making a pork roll and egg and cheese sandwich, getting that bread nice and toasty. Oh, oh, you get that good over medium. So good. Yeah. Or just eating it straight up, just having a little snack. You score those edges. Oof. Yep. Get them to cut it real thick.
0: That's the go-to in Jersey.
1: Have you ever found anywhere here that sells Taylor ham?
0: No, but I also haven't looked. I'm sure you could get it shipped or something but it wouldn't be the same. You gotta go to a fucking Pathmark and buy your Taylor ham.
1: Can I get the ship to me?
0: Maybe at like Fat Sal's. Do you know Fat Sal's?
1: Yeah, I do. I've never gotten them before because it looks like a little too excessive. I hate a tall sandwich and I think that's bullshit.
0: I believe we've talked about this on the show. Those are the sandwiches. It's like chicken tenders, mozzarella sticks, fries with gravy, ketchup. Each sandwich is like 4,000 calories plus and it's just too much. My body, I feel like I would explode if I tried to eat those. But I feel like if any place in LA would have Taylor ham, it'd be Fat Cells.
1: Yeah, that would make sense. I just like, especially with burgers too, like if you go to a restaurant and you can't fit your whole mouth around it, or it's like the brioche bun. Oh, fuck the brioche bun. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I think we've talked about everything that we've said on this episode before in the podcast, but whatever. Yeah, like fuck that. No, I want a sesame seed nice bun. God damn it. Yep. <sighs> Well, let's put a couple of sesame seed buns on this
0: episode. Episode, yeah. This was fun. It's been a while since just two of us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And we have a video episode. So if you listen to this and for some ungodly reason want to witness it again, but with video, uh, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash late at night. We recently got to like 370 patrons,
0: maybe? I think we're at 375 now.
1: Shit. Well, all 375 of you, I don't know what you're doing, like why, but thank you. It is deeply appreciated. 76. Ah, and it all goes back into the show so we can do more cool stuff. And now that both of us are closer to getting that second vax, that means we can do stuff in person again.
0: Yeah, hell yeah.
1: And I get to see Audrey, who I haven't seen in a year. (laughs) I'm so excited to see
0: Audrey. (laughs) I know. Soon, so soon. Soon. All
1: right, folks, thank you so much for joining us here today on this very special episode of Late Night. As always, stay safe. Come hard. That's the end of the episode. Wow, I I really feel that. That's it. That was the end of
0: the episode. Bye. Bye, everybody. Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at Night at gmail.com.